Hey listeners, Harry here with another episode of Air Power and International Security. And this is a good one. Now I know I always say that, or something to this effect, but this really is an important subject. Given that people keep discussing China and the growing power and influence of China in terms of it being a threat, both regionally towards Taiwan as well as more broadly in terms of what the war might mean to other global powers, so it's important for air forces to have an understanding of what that threat might look like in the sky. So today we have on the show Dr. Brendan Mulvaney, who is the ideal person to talk through the last two decades of Chinese air power expansion. Brendan is a former US Marine with a PhD in international relations from Fudan University in Shanghai, and currently serves as the director of the China Aerospace Studies Institute at the National Defense University over in the States. So I'll be asking him all about the capabilities, training, doctrine, and perhaps most importantly, the operational readiness of the Chinese Air Force. So with no further ado, let's hear from Brendan. Hi, Brendan. Thanks so much for taking the time to come and talk to us about Chinese air power uh, in the 21st century in particular. My first question, though, is, is perhaps a more contextual, more historical question. Has China always had a powerful air force or is this something that they have endeavoured to do in the 21st century in particular? Yeah, so it's a great question uh, because, you know, in order to understand where we are, you got to understand how we got here. Uh, China definitely has not had a great air force traditionally. Uh, you know, they were very focused uh, on homeland defense. Uh, they very rarely strayed outside their territorial borders. As we know, their air force, uh, their aircraft carrier is very new. Uh, the PLA Air Force itself uh, rarely flew. Uh, over water. In fact, we have a great training manual from the 90s basically telling them, hey, it's scary, don't do it. Uh, you know, naval aviation was limited to uh, however far they could reach from their bases uh, on the mainland, uh, and they had a very limited refueling capability. So uh, it's really only been within, uh, yeah, the last maybe 20 years or so uh, that they've made a concerted effort. Um, and I like to point people back to 1991, uh, the first Gulf War, where the United States kind of had on display its full might of the modern military including, you know, GPS, fighting at night, fighting through smoke, uh, and the overwhelming use of air power. Uh, and that really uh, shocked Jiang Zemin, in the, in, uh, and he went in the next day to the CMC, the Central Military Commission for the um, Chinese Communist Party, and said, hey, we are far behind, we got to get on this. And they, ever since then, uh, have understood that air power, uh, and then more recently aerospace, including space, is the new high ground. Uh, and it's been a very determined effort to try to uh, make a modern military. Would it be fair to say that before this point in time, the PLA Air Force was pretty much either importing or re-engineering Russian aircraft, and, and that made them you know, quite significantly behind America in terms of the, the platforms that they could operate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even, even into the 2000s, and we see even, to the, uh, even recently, uh, they're still importing some, some components. They've gotten much, much better. And I like to tell people, right, I mean, it, it is rocket science, but it's only rocket science. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you put enough brain power and enough money behind something, you can solve your issues. So the Chinese had for a long, for decades, have had problems with uh, high quality aircraft engines, uh, jet engines, fighter engines to be specific. Uh, and they are finally starting to crack the code on that. But you were absolutely right. They were relying on the Soviet Union and it really was Soviet era stuff that they were relying on. Uh, and then once they fell, uh, the Russians continued to sell them engines and, and even whole aircraft packages. So if the 1991 Gulf War provided the, the catalyst for change, what's the bigger reason why China's de decided to really 
emphasize its air power and invest in the PLA Air Force. How does air power fit into China's overall strategic priorities? Yeah, well, we've seen as they've grown, uh, both, you know, the economy has grown, uh, which has allowed them to do that and expand their military power. And as they've gone and done that, they've understood uh, what the United States and our allies and partners have done around the world. They see the value of air power and they know that's how modern campaigns are fought, uh, which is why we've also seen a great expansion into space. Uh, and so they're learning those lessons. They haven't fought a war since, uh, you know, 1979 or the early 80s against Vietnam. And it was just a very different day and a very different mission set for them. They were very, very focused on territorial defense. They were afraid of the Soviets. Uh, they had a border conflict with India, which is still going on. And they had all these other issues. Um, they refocused that. There's now no real uh, land territorial threats to, to China. Uh, and as they see the expansion of their interests around the world, they know that air power uh, is absolutely going to be that backbone. And so that's where they put a lot of time and effort uh, into, you know, like you said, buying stuff from the Russians, uh, but then doing a lot of indig indigenous innovation uh, and creating their own, um, you know, weapons, not only just the aircraft themselves, but it's also the weapons platforms and the systems that uh, tie into it, you know, the C4ISR, we'd like to call it, uh, that find the target, that fix the target, and then are able to shoot the target. And that's that's why they've done it as they've expanded their interests around the world. I'm glad you mentioned they've started building their own platforms because, uh, you know, we can't talk about this without mentioning the elephant in the room, which is that a lot of the Chinese air platforms look surprisingly similar to the American ones, right? It's no secret that Chinese aircraft are essentially clones of the U.S. Air Force system, really. You know, we've got aircraft very comparable to Global Hawk and Reaper, as well as transport aircraft like the C-17 and obviously the stealth fighters based closely on F-22 and F-35. How close is the PLA Air Force to catching the United States Air Force in terms of its strength and capabilities across the four roles of air power? Well, and I like to remind people that, uh, you know, the Chinese have stolen a lot more from the Russians than they have from the Americans, uh, simply because the Russians would sell them stuff. And it's a lot easier to copy something if you have the version in your hand. It may not be easy, but it's a lot easier. Um, so the answer is that they are absolutely catching up. And one thing to keep in mind uh, you know, my, my version of it, my personal opinion is that the Chinese are very happy with what I like to call good enough, right? And so it's good enough for right now. So what they're doing is good enough for what they're, what they're focused on, right? And they are focused strictly around the confines uh, of the People's Republic of China, right? At this point, 2049 is a different story. But uh, so they are able to concentrate all their effort and all their um, uh, military power in and around China. Uh, and which is a very long way from the United States. You know, uh, we have allies and partners in the region, but uh, you know, operating at long distances is challenging. Is very different than ours. Uh, and so that's that's when you look at that. And the other thing is that we don't have any plans to invade China, right? Uh, so we are really on their timetable, uh, and we are on their mission set. And so they have to get across 100 miles of the Taiwan Strait, and we have to prevent them from doing it. Uh, and so if they can keep us out by hook or by crook, and it doesn't have to be platform versus platform, it could be longer standoff air-to-air -air missiles, it could be, you know, threatening the aircraft carriers and all these things. Uh, it's just a different challenge that they have. And so looking at the confines of an air war over, you know, the Western Pacific, uh, it, they get much closer. The F-35 uh, is still better than the J-20. Our aircraft carriers and uh, crews are still way better than the Chinese. Uh, but at this point, uh, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for counter-intervention is what they call it, keeping the United States and our allies and partners out long enough for them to uh, have an opportunity to invade and occupy Taiwan. 
based on that then, would you say the Chinese Air Force is more of a deterrence rather than something that is operationally ready and credible? They are absolutely uh, ready and credible now for all but major conflict, right? So anything that we can imagine uh, that they would have. So the South China Sea, the Indian border conflict, uh, you know, maybe even something, uh, you know, they wouldn't want to get into a big mix up with Japan. Uh, but certainly uh, the overwhelming numbers that the PLA Air Force has uh, would would eventually just wear down the Japanese in a long protracted fight. Um, and so I don't want to say that they're not operationally ready at this moment. Uh, they are just probably not prepared for a full scale war with the United States. So it's fair to say that they could hold their own, especially because against most air forces anyway, they have the numbers on their side. But what about their weapon systems? Do they have weapons that compose a challenge to the U.S., for instance? Everything we're dealing with now is what's uh, available to the, to the public knowledge, right? And so openly available, they have air-to-air missiles that will outstick ours, right? So they will outfly ours. So the J-20 doesn't have to be as stealthy or as cool as the F-35 because they're not looking to go Tom Cruise and, you know, aerial combat. Uh, also, again, because we have long, long lines uh, to get across the Pacific, we're very vulnerable um, to uh, bigger aircraft, like uh, refueling aircraft, right? Which are big and they're slow. Uh, and they make nice, nice, juicy targets, right? And because they can threaten the air car- that air bridge, uh, they can threaten our air power and they can keep us back, right? So at this point, uh, their munitions are are a significant threat to us and it poses a lot of challenges, which is why we rely on air bases in Japan, potentially on the peninsula uh, and around the uh, and around the region to counteract some of those advantages that they have. And presumably, their their ground based air defense systems are of comparable quality. Sure. Yeah, the IAD system, especially on the eastern coast of China, is uh, probably the most dense and advanced in the world. Um, and so certainly uh, any actions on the mainland, right? Like I said, we have no plans to invade China or attack the mainland anytime in, in the near future. But, uh, you know, any country that uh, that did would certainly face a huge, huge network of fairly advanced, fairly sophisticated uh, and really large in numbers. Right. So, again, you don't have to be the absolute best if you can just provide those overwhelming numbers. And for China, it's a home game. Right. They're planning to fight on their soil. So if we move away from the specific platforms, what does Chinese air doctrine look like? How do they intend on using this force if the situation demands it? Because if we look at Ukraine, for instance, Russia clearly has not put much emphasis on controlling the airspace in and around the area of operations, unlike how NATO or the US would prosecute that same war. What about China then? Would they first and foremost seek to establish air supremacy before launching any ground or maritime based operation? Are they better prepared for this type of air campaign than Russia was? Yeah, so this is one of those uh, evolving areas, right? So we've seen them. Uh, so Xi Jinping just did a massive reform of the People's Liberation Army in 2015 and 2016. And we're still seeing the shake out of that. Uh, one of the main driving focuses of that was to go more joint. Uh, the PLA has traditionally been very stovepipe and very service centric and has been army dominated. Uh, Xi Jinping is really the first leader to have the power and the desire to to change. Um, And so we've seen the Air Force pushing into these areas where they're trying to do mutual support or at least coordination with the Navy, with ground forces and things like that. Uh, So that being said, they have a very evolving air doctrine. They understand uh, how we do it. They probably understand that they are not going to be able to uh, establish the overwhelming supremacy, superiority, whatever the particular term of art is, uh, that the United States has been able to in the last recent conflicts that we have. Um, But they know that it's going to be a challenge and that they have to have uh, certain periods of time in certain geographic areas where they're going to need that air control 
And I think that's probably what they're what they're moving toward. And how big of a shift does this represent in geopolitics and great power competition? The US has long dwarfed every potential adversary militarily, but to what extent do J-20 and J-31 China stealth fighters, to what extent do these aircraft mark a watershed moment for the US in that America might no longer dominate the skies in a future conflict? How big a consideration do you think are these stealth aircraft to US war planners? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, the the Soviet Union and then the Russians have continued to be leaders in aerospace. That's one of the, the areas that they maintained after the fall of Soviet Union. Um, so I don't want to say this is, uh, you know, completely new to us. Uh, we just worked really hard at not going to war with the Russians directly. Uh, and I think hopefully we are working equally as hard to try to not go to war with the PLA uh, because that would be catastrophic on all sides. We would we would emerge as the victor. But uh, at what price? And so, um, you know, other countries are developing stealth. It's not nothing new. We have had an advantage for a while. Uh, but again, it just comes back to it's that it's a science project. And when you throw billions of dollars and lots of really smart people and engineers at a problem, uh, you can start to you can start to, to overcome these issues. Uh, and again, since they're playing that home game, they don't need to go across the globe right now. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely a challenge. So the challenge that we face is um, different from the Russian threat, although the Russian aircraft uh, equipment was very good. And so were the. Uh, the missiles and things that they hung on it. Uh, it's just that now it's going to be concentrated in and around the Chinese mainland, uh, in and around their, like you said, the, the IAD system. Um, and it's a, a long way from the United States. And in that respect, I think that's that's certainly a change and something that we haven't seen for a long time, even when we considered, uh, you know, actions against, say, Iran uh, or Iraq before the, you know, the Gulf War thing, or even, you know, obviously Afghanistan, um, wasn't uh, wasn't a challenge alike. So in that regard, it certainly is a challenge that we haven't seen uh, in probably 20 years. What about uh, Chinese carrier capabilities? Because the US global dominance has emerged in part because of its ability to project air power across the globe in, in multiple theatres, arguably. Are we seeing that with China? Are they taking st- similar steps to project power in that way? Are they actually prioritizing carriers in the same way that the U.S. has done? Yeah, so they've definitely put a lot of time and effort into developing this carrier program, right? So the first one, the Liaoning, is kind of just a training carrier to get their, <laughs> if you pardon the pun, get their feet wet uh, in aircraft air carrier operations and kind of learn the ropes. Uh, the next two look to be fairly advanced, fairly modern. Uh, but what I like to remind people is that, you know, the U.S. operates on basically a three to one ratio. You have to have three aircraft carriers for every one you want to have present because you have to have one out. You got to have one that just got back and is going through refit and fixing up and changing crews. And you got to get one that's ready for training. Um, And so that's why the United States has so many aircraft carriers. So right now, uh, the Chinese have three-ish carriers. So that really means that if they wanted to deploy Blue Water Ops or somewhere around the world, uh, they're really just down to one presence. Uh, What, again, the Chinese have is... They don't plan to do that anytime in the near future. They plan to keep them near home. And so they can shuttle them back and forth between home ports uh, and do some of those maintenance uh, things out of what we would consider major cycle. Um, They absolutely are training with them. They do night operations. They're working on all weather operations. They're working on developing the uh, the carrier task force that goes around the aircraft carrier because the carrier by itself uh, is just a big sitting juicy target, right? You got to have all the other bits and bobs. Uh, they go around. And so they are absolutely working on that. They understand uh, that these are great power projection capabilities. Maybe in the future, they would use them in, uh, you know, a contingency operation, say, in uh, southern um, Southern Asia or in Africa. Um, but right now, they are still very much concentrated in and around the PRC, 
learning the ropes, trying to build this cadre of people that understand carrier operations. Because even today in the modern world, they're still they're still dangerous and tricky. Um, but uh, but they are definitely working on this. And again, we tend to be more on their timeline because uh, you know we don't have any plans to attack the PRC anytime soon. And given everything you've said so far about the capabilities of air platforms as well as their weaponry, can America even consider getting a, an aircraft carrier near to Taiwan in the event that it has to defend it? Can America wield its the sort of the mainstay of its uh, military power in a in a conflict with China over Taiwan? Well, and this is where I would go back to you know this is uh, one of our main strengths that we have a lot of, and China doesn't have any of our allies and partners, right? And, and so that combined with our advanced weaponry and our integration and the training that we're doing, uh, you know, with the Japanese, with the Australians, uh, and the you know the whole host of, uh, of Asia Pacific partners, and and indeed partners around the world. That absolutely uh, allows us to maintain our advantage, right? Uh, it is a bigger challenge. It is a bigger problem. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat that. Uh, but I think the fact that we are able to draw on all these resources from all the way around, uh, and we have to keep in mind, as we've seen in Russia, uh, you know, or, or in Ukraine with the Russian invasion, that uh, it's not all about military, right? There are economic sanctions. There's financial sanctions. There's being cut off from the world. There's all sorts of other factors uh, that come into, you know, a war. And I think in that we still absolutely maintain the edge uh, and the ability. And I think the the Chinese realize that and are trying to figure out how to deal with that. That's an interesting point there, because if China was to try and take steps to incorporate Taiwan into the People's Republic of China, would it actually do so militarily? Is this uh, somewhat of a moot point talking about Chinese air power? Would they look at other ways to do it to try and avoid that direct military confrontation with America, given that Biden's been fairly ambiguous about or Biden's administration, I should say, has been fairly ambiguous about what military support they would offer. Yeah, so I think uh, my personal view is that Xi Jinping would be very happy to never use the PLA in anger. If he could accomplish everything he wanted through diplomatic, trade, economy, uh, you know, means and measures, that he absolutely would be able to do that, right? Uh, for the uh, During the Hu Jintao era, it looked like uh, the PRC was on a trajectory to try to entice Taiwan to come back into some sort of uh, compendium with the PRC. Uh, you know, we can see now once one country, two systems is dead. But, uh, you know, it, it looked like that for a while. So he absolutely, and he, they continue, right? They continue to use diplomatic and economic means to try to bring uh, Taiwan closer to the mainland. Uh, whether or not he's going to be successful is a whole different issue. And that's, that's again, where you got to, yeah, I got to have the stick along with the carrots. So what do you think we can learn about Chinese aspirations over the next decade or two decades or so based on their military buildup with a particular emphasis on air power? What do you think China are trying to do? Well, Xi Jinping has very clearly said that he wants to re return China to its, quote, rightful place at the center of the world stage, right? And so they've set the uh, 2049 as the 100 year anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic as kind of their goal. Uh, part of that includes having a world-class military. They don't ever come out and state what does world-class mean, uh, but certainly you would think that it means to be on par with the United States and our allies and partners, to be able to do operations around the globe, not just around uh, you know, the Chinese periphery. And so we've, I would say certainly that is a long-term goal. Uh, as we continue to march toward 2049, they continue to have these plans. They have some interim goals and they are definitely working that way. They know that air power is the way to get there. Uh, you know, and you're going to need that in any kind of future conflict in combination with space, right? Um, and which is why we see them all in on space launches and rockets and and uh, satellites and why they're building their own space stations and things like this. So they understand the role that air power brings. And again, 
against the vast majority of other countries around the world, they will have a dominant force. So if for whatever reason they get into a conflict with, you know, some random country in, in, in Africa, they absolutely would have overmatch and aircraft carriers and air power would be part of that. Um, and so as they look to expand, and like I said, in, in their own words, you know, their rightful place in the center of the world stage, that's exactly what they're building toward and what their goal is. From what we can see, what's publicly available about Chinese air power, are there any gaps or limitations? What might it not be well suited for or, or as prepared for as perhaps the US is? Yeah. And so these are things that the Chinese actually talk about themselves, right? Uh, probably the biggest in my mind, uh, which again, they know about, uh, is air-to-air -air refueling. They traditionally have done almost none of it. They had a very, very limited fleet. Most of them were actually Russian aircraft. Um, and this is one of the things that continues to limit the, where they were able to go. Back in 10-ish, uh, um, they uh, tried to fly to Turkey uh, to do some, some exercises there. And they learned uh, some hard lessons that, that moving aircraft long distances, especially without an air-to-air -air capability, uh, is really, really challenging, right? Uh, so the good news for, uh, you know, if you're the Chinese, the good news for them is that refueling aircraft by and large are fairly simple aircraft to build. Uh, and so you can leave them kind of toward the end. So this is why I think they focus far more uh, on the J-20 on their uh, um, aircraft carrier fighters, because those are the harder lifts. Uh, and I think that once they build up that technology and those numbers, uh, then you can build large scale refueling aircraft. Uh, but that's definitely one of their biggest, uh, biggest hurdles. Uh, transport aircraft, same kind of thing, right? Uh, you know, if you're going to get to Taiwan, you're going to need airborne transport. Uh, they certainly have enough to do kind of one wave, but uh, after that, it gets really hard. Maintenance and logistics continue to plague the PLA uh, writ large, but especially in the Air Force. And that's one of those things that, again, they talk about this, they acknowledge this, they know this, uh, and they have a plan. And if we allow them to continue on their timeline, they will simply wait till they're ready to go um, because they know these limitations. Do these limitations arise from a lack of warfighting experience? And how easy is it to actually overcome them if you don't you know, fight wars and actually develop those capabilities? Yeah, so that goes back to the whole joint transformation of the PLA. Um, you can make up for it. And the PLA has done a remarkable job over the last 10, 15 years of changing their entire way that they train and exercise. Uh, it used to be just absolute script. Uh, everyone was separated uh, and uh, everyone knew what everyone was doing all the time. Now they get uh, much closer to what we would call free air combat. They get much closer to, uh, they call it back to back. So the blue side and the red side doesn't know what the other one's doing. Uh, they focused on basically uh, mission accomplishment as opposed to just keeping score of numbers of hits and things like that. So they've done a remarkable job in training. Uh, the joint aspect still has a long way to go, but again, uh, you know, we, I use the analogy, they've, they've built the ladder and they're starting to climb. Um, but there's always the living, breathing, thinking enemy that has a say that no matter how well you do, uh, in a peacetime training exercise, you're just not quite prepared for that war. Uh, and so I think that that is a major challenge that they're going to have to overcome. Um, but they're, they're doing a really good job, uh, of using, uh, simulators, right? Uh, simulations. Uh, and these training and live fire exercises to try to get as close because like, like you said, you know, they haven't been involved in a conflict since 79 or the early eighties. And so this will be a whole new, whole new beast for them. And they're trying to get their hands around it. Finally, then what about America? Are the Americans of the U S air force, are they taking any specific steps to, to ready themselves or to combat Chinese developments in particular, or are they just 
looking at the developments of air power as a whole? Are they not really specifically focused on, on China? I mean, to, to as much as we know of anyway. Sure. Well, I mean, I think the Secretary of the Air Force uh, and the Chief of Staff of the Air Force have been very clear, right? China is the pacing competitor. Uh, it is the threat, right? The Secretary's talked about China a lot. Uh, the Chief of Staff has his action order competition, uh, which is focused largely on China. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is just get a better understanding of who they are, what they are, what they want, um, you know, what their doctrine and their theory is, uh, and what their capabilities are, right? And so uh, having had a, an entire generation of American warfighters focused on uh, post 9-11 um, in the Middle East, uh, this has been a shift. Uh, it's been a paradigm shift. And it's been starting, you know, it's been over the last several years. Uh, but certainly the, the secretary and the chief are now laser focused on the China threat. Uh, and they're trying to, uh, they have multiple initiatives to get uh, every airman uh, for, from an E-1 to an O-10 uh, focused on the pure competitor, focused on what this threat is, and being uh, threat focused and threat driven. It's a different ball game altogether, really, isn't it? When when the uh, the enemy can fight back in the air, you know, when control of the air isn't there by default, you know, you've got to win it and maintain it. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, that's one of the challenges that, like you said earlier, we haven't uh, we haven't really faced for uh, for a really long time. You know, probably back to even World War II. Uh, you know, uh, Korea, not so much. Vietnam, there were some challenges, but we overcame them pretty easily. Uh, so this really, and again, which is why I hope, uh, you know, the diplomacy works out and we end up finding ways to coexist with the Chinese uh, and maintaining peace, the, the peaceful international world order that we've constructed that's been so good for everyone, uh, Americans and Chinese included. That's a, perhaps a positive, optimistic way to end the, the discussion. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciated you taking the time to come and tell us about Chinese air power. Great. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. Thanks again to Brendan for coming on the show and giving us some tremendous insights into the Chinese air force and Chinese policy more generally. Next up, we have a show dedicated to banned weapons and how the international community works to prevent the development and proliferation of chemical, biological and nuclear weapons. That's it from me. See you next time.